Hello, and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. This week, I was joined by Oded Netzer, professor of business at Columbia Business School. Oded and I discussed quantitative intuition, a new kind of analytics-based decision-making that could transform the impact of HR in business, and why it is that HR professionals can no longer use the I'm not a techie excuse. Enjoy. Oded, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. I'm very happy to participate in the podcast. So first of all, then, what exactly is quantitative intuition? Yeah, quantitative intuition kind of sounds like like an oxymoron, right? How does quantitative go with intuition? Uh, I hope that by the end of the podcast, I, I will convince you and the and the listeners that not only that this is a, not an oxymoron, but actually quantitative intuition need to go together, particularly when we are dealing with uh, um, those who are making decisions with uh, data, data, those who are data-driven decision makers, at this level of executive decision making, a quantitative intuition almost has has to go together. Um, so, what is quantitative intuition? It is um, a framework, a concept, a set of tools that I've developed together with a couple of colleagues of mine, Chris Frank at American Express and Paul Mignon at Google, um, where the idea is to provide guidance for uh, managers, executives who need to make decisions with data. And, and by that, I, I haven't actually um, specified it too much because almost every leader, every executive need to make decisions with data that way these days. And a quantitative intuition provides a framework, uh, again, and a set of tools to do so. Uh, when we think about quantitative intuition, uh, the way we have uh, defined it, we have defined it as um, the ability to make decisions with incomplete information via precision questioning and business acumen driven by pattern recognition. To do that, it requires a parallel view of the issue uh, that matter rather than just a logical sequence of thoughts to see the situation as a whole. This is the, our kind of formal definition, if you will, for what quantitative intuition is. But uh, if you look at this uh, definition, there are actually three components to it. There is precision questioning, there is pattern recognition, and then there is a parallel view or holistic view of the situation. Hmm. And, and if you think about these are the three pillars that we call for quantitative intuition. Um, what I mean by these three pillars, the first one, precision questioning. Chris Paul and I believe that the smartest person in the room is not the one who has the answers, but rather the one who actually asks the right questions. Right. Um, similarly, uh, um, the, 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 the idea that when we are thinking about a, a data-driven journeys, what often, ha what often happens with these data-driven journeys is that leaders tend to uh, believe that, you know, I'm a, a little bit vague about the problem, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it a little bit more and then I'll know what the problem is. Mm -hmm. The reality is that this is the main reason for failure of, of these journeys, uh, being vague about the question. Um, we kind of like to think about it as, as the current situation is maybe like Alice in Wonderland, you know, walking in, in the forest and asking the Cheshire cats which way I ought to go from here. And the cat says, well, it depends which way you want to go. And Alice says, but I want to get somewhere. And the, and the cat says, well, keep going. You'll get somewhere. <laughs> Same is often happening with data-driven journeys. We are crunching the numbers. We are sending the data analysts to crunch the numbers. We walk long enough in the forest of data with the hope of finding something. But the reality is, if we are not clear about what question we're asking from the data, we will get an answer, but it won't be an answer to an important question we have, unlikely to be an answer to an important question we have. So uh, we do encourage decision makers 
to be precise in the way they ask questions and we do provide tools uh, how to be precise um, questioner if you will uh, the second uh, pillar is more pattern recognition and this is the idea of how do we as decision makers become fierce interrogators of, of data? How do we learn to be fierce interrogators of, of data? And you know, if you, if you take kind of two extremes types of managers, and I'm sure you've, you've seen both of them, uh, the one extreme, we have these managers who are, um, you know, the 30,000 feet, very much with the eyes on the eight ball, understand the question, never go down to the data, never go down to the details of the data or the analysis. The problem with these managers is that you can really sell them anything, right? I mean, they tend to use data for support rather than illumination, just like a drunken man uses a lamppost. <laughs> uh, um, the, the, the other extreme, we have the, these managers, and again, I'm sure you've all seen them. Uh, these are the managers who are so detailed, right? You send them an Excel sheet and they would, they're gonna go and check every single cell in the Excel. And if the job of the business is to create perfect Excel sheets, right, as opposed to making decisions. And uh, the problem with these managers is the other way around, right? Because they're so focused on the details of the data and the analysis, they forget about the question we need to solve, right? The big business questions, why we actually created this Excel in the first place. And, and a good quantitative intuition manager is one who learns to go up and down this elevator from business question through conclusion analysis data and, and up and down this elevator and learn to investigate and interrogate the data when needed and stay uh, the, the business decision problem when, when needed. The last pillar, um, more of a parallel uh, view, uh, the, this one we, we define mainly as learning to synthesize. As, um, as managers, we can't afford to be sequential or methodical in our way of making decisions with, with data. And that's hence the quantitative intuition nature of it in the sense that, uh, you know, when I, when I teach the, 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 the data scientists in the data science program, I teach them to be super sequential and methodic. Uh, when we get to, to, to decision makers, we, are, we have sources of different sources of data coming to us at different point in times. So there is the business acumen and the knowledge. So uh, when we are faced with a piece of information, it is on us actually to combine that piece of information with the uh, other sources of data as well as intuition. Uh, call it business acumen, call it experience. Um, and from that, define a holistic synthesis of that, um, that picture. Uh, and, and that's what we call uh, the, the importance of a holistic view, parallel view, or synth synthesis as opposed to merely a summary. Uh, one of the, the questions we often ask is, can one teach intuition? Isn't intuition something that you either have or don't? Mm. So um, two, two, two thoughts about it. One, uh, the whole notion of quantitative intuition very much mimics the, what uh, Professor Kahneman in his book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, described as system one and system two of thinking, where system one is the more intuitive, unconscious, effortless. System two is the more conscious, deliberate, deliberate type of system. And quantitative intuition is truly combining these two. It's combining your thoughtful process with a system one intuitive system that allows us to go on, on with our lives. So it's not that necessarily we need to learn the, the, this intuition. It's something we, we all often have. The, the second thought about it is that when we think about the theory of learning, about how people learn, uh, people often talk about two dimensions, 
consciousness and competence. And at the lowest level of learning, we are unconsciously incompetent. We don't, we don't even know what we don't know. Mm. And then we hopefully listen to a podcast or go to a, a seminar and suddenly we become consciously incompetent, meaning at least we know what we don't know. And hopefully by the you know, 10 minutes into the, the podcast, I'm becoming consciously competent, meaning I'm, I'm now not only realize what I don't know, but I have a couple of solutions, but it requires a lot of work to make them happen. <laughs> it is through reapplications of these, it is through the use of, of data and, for example, pre uh, precise questioning that we can get to the level of the fourth level of learning, the, the highest level of learning, which is intuition, being unconsciously competent. Things become almost second nature. So it's the, the, the reapplication of things that can allow us to, to, to get to that uh, admirable level, if you will, of combining a quantitative together with uh, intuition. So you had a short question and I had a really long answer. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. It's, it, if anyone listening to this now is currently feeling consciously incompetent, then they think, okay, I'm <laughs> starting to get an idea of what Oded's saying, but I don't fully understand. Could you give me an example of how QI uh, might work? Yeah, I mean, let me give you two examples uh, from very different fields. I'll start with an example that comes more from a a book that I've read, um, Blink, by Malcolm Gladwell. And, and in this book, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about a firefighter leader who was rushing into a burning building together with uh, his squad, with, a, with his firefighting squad. And the squad is going into the building. The, the, the leader of the firefighter squad enters into the building, the burning building. And he's standing in the room and looking around, collecting information, call it the quantitative step of a, of a firefighter, right? I mean looking at the ceiling, looking at the, at the um, walls and so on, at the level of fire. And after looking at the room, a few minutes later, he calls in the radio to his entire squad, who was already uh, up in the second floor of the building, uh, turning off the fire. Everybody out right now. And the, the squad leaves the building. Um, and a couple of minutes later, the building collapses. And they interviewed him afterwards. They said, can you actually teach us, can you tell us, how did you do it? How did you have this, uh, um, this decision-making moment, right? Which uh, Malcolm Gladwell called the blink moment, right? Uh, um, can you tell us about this, this heroic decision-making that you just made so we can teach future generation of firefighter uh, fire, um, leaders? What was it in this situation that caused you to call the shot, to tell people, get everybody get out of the building? And he, he kind of reflected on it and said, you know what, it's really hard for me to answer this question because things I've seen in that building, I've seen other places and didn't call the shot. Um, but they pushed him harder. They said, but, but still, I mean, I mean, can you still think about it? Because clearly something was different here. And he said, you know what, when, when you're thinking about it and we are, we are putting it that way, yes, there was something that was different. What I noticed was that the, the fire I saw with the eyes did not match the heat I felt with the body. There was a surprising moment when I stood there that there was way less fire than heat of what I felt, which in retrospect, only after getting out of the, the building, he realized was the, the, the fire was actually inside the walls. And that's why he, he called the, the, everybody uh, to get out. Right. But the decision-making was somewhat unconscious. It's not that he, or, or, or uh, maybe unconscious is too strong, but not fully conscious, fully making the full logical sequence of the fire is inside. It just something did not match between two different senses, the heat in the body and what he saw with the eyes and the cognitive thinking about it. So definitely parallel 
thinking, identified a pattern, and based on that, called uh, called the shot and 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 ask people to to leave the building. Maybe using another example, this time this time getting maybe a little bit closer to uh, the world of business, the world uh, that that um, most of the listeners to the podcast are in. Um, imagine the following: you're sitting in this presentation, slide after slide of tables, right? We've all sat in these presentations. <laughs> uh, lots of data is being uh, thrown at us. And um, think about the following leader, right? I mean, we are slide number thirteen, and sh- suddenly she raises her hand and say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." That number doesn't match the number on slide number eight. And we are all, whoa, how did you do that, right? (laughs) Uh, um, So first of all, that's precision questioning for you, right? That's someone who's actually asking a very precise question of comparing numbers, not by the way we are so conditioned to look at numbers within a table, looking more in parallel and said, well, a number on a very different slide, right? And one of the the um, one of the things that Chris Paul and I in quantitative intuition are trying to uh, fight is our experience. Myself uh, being a professor at Columbia Business School uh, at this point, teaching uh, thousands of uh, leaders, executives, and executive to be in in the MBA program. Chris and Paul at the front line of uh, Google at uh, American Express, previously Microsoft and IBM. Realizing that people are afraid of making decisions with data because they believe that uh, uh, they have they, they were not uh, um, math whiz in, in school. They were not at the top of the class in calculus. Hmm. When you think about this example, about this manager who compared the, the, the numbers, right? I mean, did she solve logarithms in her head? Did she solve square roots? None of these, right? I mean, all she needed to do is being able to compare two numbers. Maybe, by the way, she did multiplication because one of the numbers was unit sold and the second one was revenue and she knows the, the cost of a, of a product. But that's, we're talking about fifth grade uh, um, uh, math, math, uh, al- algebra, right? Uh, you don't need to be top of your class in math in order to do it. And, and if you think again about this leader, what, what she did was she, she was very precise in her questions, right? She identified again a pattern and in a parallel way across different, uh, um, different slides and across different uh, uh, ways of possibly presenting the data. And uh, uh, she didn't need to be, again, top of a class in math in doing this, right? And going back to our intuition and, and, and how does she develop an intuition in doing that, you know, probably the first couple of times doing that probably was consciously, consciously competent, meaning she had to pay a lot of attention to it. But, but we know these leaders, they do it almost in every single presentation because they develop the habit of doing that, right? right? Uh, so it's through this reapplication that actually we learn how to do this type of um, type of quantitative intuition skills of things things in a by precise questioning, identifying patterns, and then combining piece, pieces of information to see the situation as a whole. So I think listening to this, then, if I were an HR leader, I'd be thinking, okay, this is this is great and this is fascinating. But what specific benefit, I suppose, does QI and this process of decision making offer to HR leaders specifically? So thinking about HR, I think there are directly two angles to look at it. Uh, um, one f- more from the skills that an HR leader themselves need. And the second one, the new world of HR when it comes to uh, both recruiting and, and talent management. Um, so l- let me start with the second and then I'll, I'll go to the first, which is what, what HR leaders um, need. 
but the world of talent that we are looking at has has changed on us mm. uh, in the sense that um, <laughs> we have today in the workforce many more um, STEM skill type of individuals uh, coming in more as data analysts. Almost every team has as a this or the other form of a data analyst or someone who whose job or role is to look at data, which means that we need a direct manager for that person. Obviously, someone who's skilled enough to manage a person whose job is uh, um, to look at data. And that direct manager may have not been uh, trained in the in the skills of, of the STEMs and data science. But even if you go now two or three levels uh, a remote from the data scientist, all of us now are using this data, which means we need to, to, to have different training and thinking for uh, those who are leading today in a much more data and analysis rich environment. And that's exactly the gap that we are trying to address with, uh, with quantitative intuition. Um, when, now, now let's lead us to the, the, what is the changing role of HR uh, within the HR leaders. Similarly, similar to the, the situation with uh, leaders who are now living in a, in a more data and analysis driven environment, that's definitely mirrors what we are seeing in the world of, of human resource. Um, HR is now becoming much more data driven. There are many more machine learning and AI tools being offered to us in HR, as HR leaders. And it's, it's sometimes a little bit daunting and, um, and, and difficult to, to um, disentangle between where is it just a buzzword of bringing in AI just to say we are doing AI versus the world is really changing on us and we need to, to change uh, with it. Uh, one piece of advice I would, I would uh, provide there is that when we think about the repetitive jobs that we are doing, think about screening resumes, this is where we can really use the help of, of machines. This is where data and analysis can be helpful in, in eliminating biases, in looking at it obviously in a more scalable and efficient way Machine obviously can read many more uh, resumes than we can, uh, but also in, this, in the sense of being much more consistent and fair around these and weighing information in the appropriate way, meaning the machine never has a graduate who just graduated from the same program as I did, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, so it help us sometimes eliminate some of these uh, biases. When it comes to the, the, the tasks that are maybe less repetitive, like having a job interview and so on, this is where we want to complement then the quantitative with intuition and the quantitative with the acumen, with the, the, the way we, we are as human are so much better in identifying patterns and, uh, and looking at a, a context of every particular person, for example, that we are looking for, for a job. This is in the context of recruiting, but you can easily uh, um, mirror that to the world of more talent management within the company some tasks are, are pretty repetitive, like looking, for example, at the evaluations of employees over time, and others are very much context-specific when a flag has been raised about a particular uh, individual and so on. So um, I would say a lot of it is in the combination of repetitive tasks versus tasks that requires paying attention to the context in which the, the situation occurred, in which machines are, are, are pretty poor at this point. So you mentioned there the, the, the rise in STEM 
professionals coming into businesses, and obviously it's it's hugely valuable, and it's something I think we can recognise in most businesses now. But how do you think fundamentally it's changing businesses and how they work? And, and crucially, I think, what can HR people do to, to, to meet that challenge? Because I think sometimes it can be slightly daunting for an HR professional who's quite stayed in their profession to deal with this different kind of, 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 um, of talent. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating um, world and trend and change, a changing world that we are living in. Um, I mean, back in the early 2010s is where the, the big STEM push came about. There was a, a big cry out um, at the time that, that uh, in the US we will have a, a major shortage of people with deep analytical skills. Thinking about all of these companies, uh, tech companies, these days tech does not include only what used to, what we used to thought about tech, think about tech, uh, like maybe the Google or the Facebooks of the world or the hardware, Cisco and so on. Today when we think tech, we think education, we think finance, we think retail, think about Amazon is, is both a retailer and technology company. Um, so tech is, is almost everywhere in our lives, which led to the, the, the need to prepare this talent, the STEM talent. And to a large extent, actually, um, we have addressed this, this challenge. We have uh, trained our, our uh, many data science programs, many more engineering programs and so on in order to try and address the, the, the the impending shortage of people with deep analytical skills. But uh, there was an article back in 2011 by McKinsey, and that article highlighted that by, by uh, last year, by 2018, we are likely to have a, a shortage of about 150,000 uh, people with deep analytical skills. And, and again, that was part of that um, push that I've, I just talked about. But in the same article, actually, McKinsey mentioned that there will be a shortage of tenfold of that, meaning one and a half million executives who can manage people with these, these deep analytical skills. And again, they didn't necessarily uh, uh, mean directly manage, but also make decisions with this new world of, of the STEM. And that part, I think we haven't addressed yet. Uh, this is exactly where we believe quantitative intuition exists to close the gap. On, on that education, education of leaders, of executives that live in a world in which STEM exists pretty much in every, uh, every aspect of our business as, as well as personal lives, uh, but particularly you know, with respect to HR important for the business uh, um, world. And, and the, the, you think today about the, com the, the composition of a typical team that um, our MBAs, for example, coming from Columbia Business School are going to sit in that executive are sitting in, more often than not, in the same table, uh, uh, there will be people that are a data scientist, software engineer, maybe even UI engineers, and the training to be in that table, as opposed to just a table that we were used to sit in, which includes uh, people that are in, in, in top management uh, with skills of, uh, the traditional skills of top management is uh, highly uh, changing. And, and challenging because that means that we need to re-equip ourselves with tools that would allow us to um, use this data. And, and I don't mean by the way that that means that we all need to learn how to um, how to program in Python or how to uh, understand how to do uh, neural nets or deep learning. What we do need is to learn, and that goes back to quantitative intuition, we need to learn how to ask precise questions, where the risks are, and, and what questions do we need to ask from those who actually do this analysis. 
to learn to interrogate the data and interrogate not necessarily at the level of, oh, is your code right? But when I look at these results, when I compare slide 13 to slide number eight, I don't know whether you used here deep learning or neural nets, it just, something here doesn't match. So how do we come, become first interrogator of data? And how do we then go to the, not, not necessarily to the what, but to the so what and now what? How do we convert it to, to decision making? And, and again, from the perspective of HR, I think the meaning is, is, do, is, is in two different places. One, a, a, a HR is more managing talent within organizations, realizing that today we are living in a much more um, heterogeneous group of talent at the, at the top leadership and the need to have the talent of also uh, managing a quantitative talent. And, and again, when I, man, when I mean managing, I don't mean managing them themselves, but using their, out, their output in order to, as input for decision making. And, and second, within HR, uh, we start to see much more of that. We start to see much more of data coming in from analysis of a, a current employee, of analysis of, of leads and of potential employees. And these leaders, just like any other leader, is sitting today with, with much, more much more heterogeneous tables um, in order to make these decisions. So you mentioned that HR perspective there. Um, one thing I think I've, I've seen fairly commonly, and I'm sure you have as well, is that many HR leaders distance themselves a bit from the use of tech by saying, well, I'm not a tech person. You know, I, I don't really deal with technology. My role is kind of overseeing you know, people or I'm a people person, so I don't do tech. Sometimes they have that kind of perspective. Why do you think that is and why should that change? And how, I think, as well, for anyone listening who really wants to become more techie? Right. Uh... And, and uh, again, as I mentioned, this is, it's exactly that type of question is the, the main question that drove Chris, Paul and I to, to start the whole, this whole program of quantitative intuition. Uh, the fear of people of dealing with data because they believe that they had to be math whiz, they had to be top of the class in math in order to be able to deal with these type of um, uh, situations. Uh, so uh, th there are there are bad news and good news, which overall is is just good news. Uh, the, the, <laughs> good to know. The, the bad news is that you know it's not a choice anymore. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> whether you want or not, these days we all need to make decisions with data. Um, so uh, you know, if, if originally we were afraid of it and say, you know what, I'll let those who are good in in Excel to uh, go and look at these these these, these formulas in Excel. This is not a choice anymore in this world of big data. We all need to, to be data apt to, to, to make these, these decisions. The good news is, again, as I mentioned before, you don't need to be top of a class in math in order to be able to do it. Uh, and again, I'm not talking here about running the analysis yourself. Um, often cases we do have in the organizations those who can run the analysis, but uh, learn how to how to interrogate it, not so much from the technical point of view, but from the so what and the now what, what does it mean to the business? What do we do with it? Uh, one advice that I found to be very useful in that respect is um, thinking about uh, um, knowing numbers at the tip of your fingers, a number about your own business, uh, knowing about uh, how many employees are in different groups in the organization, what are the typical salaries, uh, things that are relevant for, for whatever, whatever aspect of HR you're at, are very useful because then when someone brings to you 
uh, pieces of information, it's much easier to develop a stomach for it and not just a brain for it. Um, and you don't need to be, again, top of your class in math to know numbers at the tip of your fingers, right? Um, it's useful to know how many employees work in, in different uh, organizations of different sizes. So that when someone says, we need to hire that many, you're saying, look, we'll have more employees than, than Google in that area. That just doesn't make sense, mm. right? Uh, um, and again, it doesn't require really being a, a quant in order to, to know that. And you see it with the top consultants are, are very good at it. So it's not just having business acumen. Obviously, business acumen helps in, in knowing numbers about your business. But consultants are uh, doing it in a very fast period because for them, almost every uh, consulting engagement is new. And they're learning pretty fast how to hone on the, uh, the numbers that are relevant for that business within a couple of days before they start the engagement or before they start actually working with a, with a company. Um, so that's maybe a, a little bit of a shortcut to, to help you uh, um, shortcut a little bit the, the fear out of, of the numbers. You mentioned there the inevitability of, of having to become good with tech and maths and that kind of thing. And I have to say, as somebody who is resolutely terrible at Excel, it's daunting for me to hear, but I suppose there is something reassuring in the fact that I have no choice. However, um, other than specifically becoming great at Excel, what do you think are the, the skills that HR leaders are going to need now going into the future to give businesses that strategic advantage that HR can offer to them? So moving forward, uh, um, and again, it's 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 ties back to to quantitative intuition. Um, make sure that, that that when you are using data, uh, you are using data in a purposeful way. What I mean by in a purposeful way, we have the tendency, particularly early on in a in a culture, whether it's a firm or an area like HR, that starts using data to say, you know what. We have all of this data. Let's make sure we collect it so we never lose it, which is which is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But then, given that we have all of the data, let's have the analysts look at it and see what they can find. There's got to be something super interesting in this data. But uh, to me, this is one of the biggest no-no in data-driven decision making, where we're expecting the data to provide both the question and the answer. Right. It is our responsibility to provide the question, and then. If we are lucky, if the data are right, if the analyst is good and the, and, and the data can provide the answer, the data will provide the answer to the well-defined question we, we asked. Again, going back to the notion of precision questioning. So uh, um, use, use the data as, 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 again, you think about skills of HR leaders, uh, uh, learn to ask the right questions from data. Ask yourself, where can data help me to answer questions that I'm currently facing in my uh, in, in my organization, and uh, and don't don't just uh, let the data be uh, be the the, the a leading actor in your movie. <laughs> uh, data is a supporting actor in your movie. You are the one who's making the decisions. You are the one who posing the question, and even data that is not perfect, even data that are not uh, uh, fully accurate. I rather have data that is somewhat vague, but help, but is directed to the question I asked, mm. than having the perfect table that someone can provide to me to the wrong questions that I have. Uh, and so attempt to get as, as good of a data as you can for the question that you have and incorporate this into the decision making that, uh, that you need to make in HR. Uh, the, the, other, um, the other thing with respect to the skills is that um, 
we tend to think about data as numbers, particularly in a domain like HR, the definition of data is much wider. Mm -hmm. uh, often qualitative data, remember the example of the firefighter squad leader that I talked about before, going into the building and looking around, that was the way firefighters collect data. Uh, and in a similar way, you know, observations of a working environment, reading uh, the report and the evaluations of, uh, of, of employees, uh, um, these are ways of collecting data. Data is not just quantifiable. Now, there are tools these days, uh, particularly with respect to text mining, that allows to quantify that more what we call unstructured textual data. Uh, whereas I, I, I don't think and I, and I do not expect necessarily HR professionals to be uh, uh, the ones who are developing these tools and, um, and necessarily advancing these tools. Uh, it's, it is very important to know that they exist and uh, typical data scientists these days do know how, to, for example, to analyze textual data and provide summaries of the information being provided. Um, so knowing that these exist and knowing that you can ask questions of the data that involve more, let's look at the overall evaluations of 1,000 employees or 1,000 resumes and see what patterns come, come out of it. Uh, more and more we are able to do it from a technology point of view and it's definitely okay for us as executives as HR leaders to start and asking these questions of the data something we couldn't we couldn't do before wonderful Oded it's been absolutely fascinating I feel somewhat less incompetent than I did at the beginning when it comes to data I'm sure our audience probably feel the same way but thank you so much for joining us on the podcast it's been absolutely fascinating and hopefully we can have you back again soon Th thank you very much I definitely enjoyed it Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast with Oded Netzer, Professor of Business at Columbia Business School. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on hrdconnect.com or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode every week. See you next time.